0: You're listening to a sermon from Plus Life, a church that exists to see lives changed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. Our prayer is that you will be stirred in your heart and renewed in your mind as you hear the preaching of God's word today. Good evening, church. Glad to be in the house of the Lord. There's a lot lot to cover this evening, so if you have your Bibles, please turn with me to 2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3. We are starting our Back to the Basics series, as Sister Eden had mentioned, and um, there's a lot to cover in this first sermon. So if you will, please stand with me as we give reverence to the reading of God's Word. We're going to be reading the entire chapter of 2 Timothy, chapter 3. I hope you have your notebooks as well, because there's a lot of notes for you this evening. having the appearance of godliness, but denying its power. Avoid such people, for among them are those who creep into households and capture weak women, burdened with sins and led astray by various passions, always learning and never able to arrive at a knowledge of the truth. Just as Janus and Jambres opposed Moses, so, this, so these men also oppose the truth, men corrupted in mind and disqualified regarding the faith. But they will not get very far, for their folly will be plain to all, as was that of those two men. You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch and uh, at Iconium and at Lystra, which, which persecutions I endured, yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil people and impostors will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. O gracious God and heavenly Father, we thank you for the mercies that you have poured out on us. For the grace that you have afforded us to allow us to come together and meet and worship and bring praises to your name. We thank you for the salvation that we have in Jesus Christ. The blood that was spilled for us that washes us clean and and justifies us before you, a holy God. We thank you, O Lord, for it is by the cross of Calvary of Jesus Christ... That we are able to hear your word and understand it. That we are able to hear from you and know what is true. And so I pray and that this evening and during the sacred time that you remove any distractions from our hearts and our minds. That God, your word would penetrate deep, that as your word says, that it would it would sever from joint and marrow to the division of the soul, O oh Lord. That we would might be truly convicted and changed this evening. Oh God, I pray that you would not leave us the same. That by your word, you would change us, oh Lord. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Asking that you would use me as the instrument of your peace, oh God. I pray these things, amen and amen. Before you sit down, tell somebody the title of our first sermon this evening. Back to the Bible. Back to the Bible. The first sermon of our series, not this evening, we're going to have multiple sermons, don't worry about that. We have a communion at the end of service, it's not going to be that long. Back to the Bible. My wife and I have been enjoying watching the Olympic Games... Uh, this past week, as we've as we've been heading to the, the, the gold medal finals, we've been enjoying the, the gold medal events, for example, Andre de Grasse, I'm pretty sure some of you guys have heard about that, or saw that event, and the 200 meters won gold for Canada, or maybe the, the event in the high jump, where the, the, the athlete from Qatar and Italy split the gold medal, a very historic event, that was something, someone here is from Qatar, I'm assuming, I'm not sure, uh, but very, very cool events and very exciting events. The, the event that really blew, blew me away was the, was the, what is it called? the, the, the one where they had 10 events and someone has to do well in all of them. The decathlon, thank you so much. The decathlon and uh, Damien Warner, right, was the one from Canada and who won that gold medal event. To be honest, I was inspired because I realized that this guy is only 32 years old, a year older than me. I was so much inspired that, you know, I had dreams of possibly joining the Olympics. Um, You know, I could be the first Filipino pastor that gets gold for Canada in the shot put or something, right? Listen, you laugh, but in middle school, to be honest, right, I I actually competed in the the finals, or the regionals, for that event, the shot put, right? And I told my wife this, of course, and she's like, well, better start running, right? I mean, uh, you know, stop eating rice, she says, right? But, you know... But to be, you know, when I was looking at at what it was, what would be necessary to get back into that, there, it's a daunting task because, in a way, you need to go back to the basics of things, going back to to, to a healthy diet or going back to, uh, uh, you know, the basics of doing shot put or the, the basics of of exercising. That's a lot of work, right? And we have snacks after church, so I, I don't know how we're going to do that. Uh, <laughs> but that's essentially what we're tackling in this new series and uh, as we go back to the basics maybe time and the cares of the world has caused us to grow cold in the things of god in our in in the word as we do our devos and maybe the those times have grown stale, or maybe our times in in our our prayer life have become repetitious, or our times in worship have become mere words, and if that's you this evening, this sermon and this series is for you. The goal for this series is to ignite passion for the things of God once again in our lives, wherever we've grown cold. See, uh, I Oftentimes, I I don't believe it's, it's about doing something new, right? Like figuring out a, a new way to pray or a new way to read the Bible or, or having new songs in church. I believe it's about going to the basics, going back to the foundations of these spiritual disciplines and practices so that we can get it right and into focus, so that our passion for God's Word and for prayer and for community and for worship would become sort of self-sustaining in a way as we go back to the basics. I think the reason why we often grow cold in these areas and these things for God is because they stop being about God and they start being about us. You know, I'm not getting anything from the word, or God's not answering my prayers, or I don't like this music, or I can go to church whenever I want. These practices that are meant to draw us closer to God, to reveal more of God to us and His glory, becomes lackluster when they become about us. So my desire, beloved, is to bring us back to the basics the foundations so that we might remember why it is that we read the Bible, why it is that we pray and why it is that we worship, why it is that we come together as a church family and all the while highlighting some practical steps to reinvigorate those areas in our lives so that your time in God's Word, your time in prayer, your time in worship and in community would be maximized, would be filled with passion. And hopefully, if you're already thriving in these areas, then, then my, my hope and desire is that uh, the, as we discuss these topics in this series, is that those areas would be reinforced and reinvigorated as well. So church, let's go back to the basics. Everybody say, get back. Where we start our journey is, as the title of my sermon: back to the Bible. Before we get into some of the practicality of reading the Bible, we need to understand the Bible is, that we need to understand that the Bible is our foundation for everything else. It is our guide, our blueprint, our our source of faith and practice. It is our highest authority when it comes to how we ought to live and practice our faith. Now you might be thinking, well, Pastor Ian, why the Bible? Well, let me give you some reasons as to why the Bible is that foundation, our foundation. And write this down. This won't be up on the slides, but uh, this is important for you to understand as well. So first of all, the Bible is authoritative. The Bible is authoritative. As I mentioned, the Bible is our highest authority when it comes to faith and practice. Why? Well, very simple. As we read from our passage this evening, verse 16, all scripture is breathed out by God. Scripture is God-breathed, meaning the very word, the literal word of God, God's own words. We don't believe that the book, that this 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 Bible was written and invented by men, nor that man was simply inspired by God to write the, the Bible. No, we believe that all Scripture... Every word and paragraph and verse are the very words of God, spoken by God, given to men to be written down. And because they are God's own words, they therefore have the highest authority. They supersede man's teachings, man's traditions, man's systems, and man's philosophies. Notice in our passage that this is what Paul is getting at as well. This is Paul's final letter to his protege, Timothy, before he is killed in prison. After warning the young pastor of the corruption in the, the age to come and all the sinfulness that is happening in the world, he, go, he, he goes to himself or he calls his own life. In verse 10, he says, You, however have followed my teachings, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me in Antioch, and at Iconium, and at Lystra, which persecutions I endured, then as if to say to the young pastor, this is how you too can live faithfully and endure like me. He says in verse 14, but as for you, continue in what you have learned and how... And have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings. Notice it says sacred writings, not traditions, not pastors or anything else, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. And he goes on to say, verse 16, All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. Similar to how the apostle Paul was. How do we remain faithful uh, to Christ in a world that is so corrupt and and just keeps getting worse and worse as our passage says? How do we remain faithful even in times of persecution and and fears and doubts and the, the uncertainty of this life? Paul points to all Scripture. He doesn't point to himself or the traditions of the church or saints or angels or any other book. Paul says to go to God's Word. Scripture is our highest authority when it comes to faith and practice. This doesn't mean then that we don't listen to pastors or read other books or sound teachers. No, it simply means that at the end of the day, if what those pastors and those books or even those traditions don't line up with scripture, then don't pursue it. Don't believe it. We are to be like the Berean Christians in the book of Acts chapter 17. Acts chapter 17 verse 10 says, The brothers immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. And when they arrived, they went into the Jewish synagogue. Now, these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. They were seeing if what the apostles were teaching lined up with God's word. That's how we ought to be. This is sola scriptura, by the way. Sola scriptura wasn't just invented in the 15th or the 16th century by the the reformers, as some would claim. Sola scriptura is what the faithful disciples of Christ followed, and again, what Paul urges Timothy to do as well. Now, what also adds to the claims of authoritativeness or the authority of Scripture is its inerrancy and its infallibility. Its inerrancy and its fallibility. Infallibility. Scripture being infallible means that it cannot be wrong when it comes to what it tells us about faith and practice. Infallibility deals with with the Bible's trustworthiness. Because what it says is true, and because it is the words of God himself, we can therefore trust it to be true, to have the authority on our faith and practice. Now on the other hand, Scripture is also inerrant. And and, and the inerrancy of scripture means that there are no errors within the content of scripture itself. Meaning, the Bible in its original writings is without contradictions or fallacies or misinformation. There's no fake news here. Both these truths, scripture being infallible and inerrant stems from the idea that scripture again is God-breathed. The very words of God and because God himself is infallible and inerrant and cannot lie, Scripture is therefore the same. This is why the Bible is our standard for truth. What helps us distinguish between what is true and what is false. Jesus in his high priestly prayer, right before he goes to the cross, John 17, 17, you can write that down. says He says, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. That means... If someone teaches something that is not in the Bible, red flags should immediately go up. If, you know, if it's false or heresy, we have to see. If, if some church has you believe or practice something that is not in Scripture, or Scripture does not permit, or even contradicts Scripture altogether, then be sure it's false, it's heresy. Now this truth speaks to how Scripture is also complete. Scripture, the Bible, is complete. The Bible is complete. Scripture is a closed canon. Meaning all 66 books in it, the 39 from the Old Testament and the 27 in the New Testament, there is no more adding to that. No more removing from that. This means that if someone or some church discovers some new ancient writing from the Apostle Thomas or something, as an example, don't believe it. Right? Don't take it as scripture. God in his sovereignty over the course of human history preserved and maintained his word exactly as it is today for a purpose and for a reason. He used faithful Christians and scholars to discern what was truly inspired and remove what was not. In, in fact, a good example of this is in, during the Reformation. The, the, the books of the Apocrypha, the, the, uh, some books that were added into the Old Testament and are still used in Catholic churches today, were removed because as Reformers saw, these, these books in their oldest manuscripts were written in Greek rather than Hebrew, which the Old Testament was. So there was no there is no authenticate there's no way of authenticating those books or nor was there uh, any in reality the Jews themselves didn't recognize them as being inspired themselves. So understand that God in his faithfulness to himself and to his word and in order to maintain the integrity and standard of truth found in his word he preserved and kept the bible that we have today. Now you might be asking, well, why is this important that the Bible is complete, that God has preserved it over time, and, and that nothing else has been added to it or removed? Well, imagine for a moment that you knew the cure for a, de- a disease, uh, let's say cancer, and in order to pass on this, in order to pass on this discovery, you had to write down the very particular ingredients to create. This cure. Because if any one of those ingredients were missing or incorrectly measured or left out, then the cure would be ineffective or, or, or even worse, it could lead to death. So I imagine you would go out of your way to make sure that that list of ingredients for that cure was precise and accurate, even as you deliver it to the doctors and even as you bring it to the pharmaceutical, pharmaceutical companies. Well, it's the same thing with the Bible. The Bible was written and preserved in a way so that God's cure for sin and death and hell would be precise and accurate and there would be no confusion as to what it is. For this reason, we believe that the Bible is also sufficient to teach and lead an individual to salvation. The Bible is sufficient. The Bible is sufficient. What Paul, uh, Paul says in, 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 in our passage once again, verse 14. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you have learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. The Bible is sufficient to lead someone to salvation. It is God's way of communicating the gospel, His plan, His salvific work for mankind. And and it's a very... It's very simple but very particular way that the Bible is written so that we can know His gospel, His truth. And not only is the Bible sufficient for salvation, but also how one is to live and directing us in how to live. Again, Paul goes on to say in our passage, verse 16... All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching. Teaching meaning doctrine, the foundations of the faith, the, the truth, the divine truth that God reveals. For reproof, that's referring to how the Bible is our authority and our standard for when we go and correct someone and go and call someone out in their sin. And it goes on to say, for correction. So after we've gone and called someone out, we can then show them the way to go through scripture. And then in training for righteousness. This is the practical part of it. The application part of it. The, the way you have been going is wrong. This is the right way to go. And now this is how you walk in it. That's the training for righteousness. That the man of God may be complete. Equipped for every good work. So the Bible is not only sufficient for salvation. But also we also how we are to live. And practice our faith. And understand what is true. And, and the doctrines of of the faith. The Bible is sufficient. So now this leads to another reason as to why we go to the Bible rather than anything else. It's simply that the Bible is effective. The Bible is effective. In Isaiah chapter 55, verse 10 to 11, it says, For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, So shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. The Bible is effective. It has the ability to change hearts, to correct even the most hardened sinner. And I'm sure many of us here are testimonies of that. We were all going one way and now we are living a different way because someone preached to us the word of God. The Bible has a power to change the individual, to preserve them and bring them or bring about God's purposes in our lives. In Ephesians chapter 5, when, when Paul calls husbands and wives to act like Christ and the church, the illustration that Paul gives there is of Christ sanctifying the church by, and cleansing his bride by the washing of water with the word. Later in Ephesians, when when Paul talks about the the full armor of God, the only offensive weapon that we have there is the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Paul, when addressing the uh, the Thessalonians, he says, Our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12 to 13 says, For the Word of God is living and active sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Again, all of this is talking about the efficacy of God's word, the power therein to bring someone to full conviction and to change hearts, to make someone new, to get to the root of our heart issues and reveal what is truly lacking in us. So the Bible is authoritative. The very words of God, it's infallible, meaning trustworthy. It's inerrant, meaning it's true. The Bible is complete. It doesn't require anything to be added to it. It's sufficient to lead someone to salvation and effective. It has the power to change an individual and accomplish God's purpose. So for these reasons, we hold Scripture alone to be our highest infallible authority in this life when it comes to faith and practice. Sola Scriptura. Now with all of that said, as our foundation, let's go to some practical application to all of this, and how we can read the Bible and whatnot. So how then should we read the Bible? Well, firstly, come with expectation. Come with expectation. Expectation that when we read God's word, we are communing with God himself. We are hearing from God himself. Just as we read in that, that passage in Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 4 verse 12. For the word of God is living and active. If we truly believe this, then we can't just treat our time in the word as a chore a, or as a box to be checked off our list and go on, uh, go on so that we can go on to the next task. Let me ask you, do you do that with your other relationships in this life? Do you go? Oh, it's six o'clock. Time to spend time with my wife. Let's do this. I imagine not. You go into. Do you go into your your time with others with? You go into your time with others with intentionality and, and wanting to spend time with them to hear how they're doing. You expect a conversation to be had, and it ought to be the same with the word of God. Listen, if you're going into God's Word just to read it and not hear it, you will leave having only read it and not having heard from God. And let's flip this around, by the way, right? In our quiet times, in our devotional times in the Word, uh, you know, with the time that we spent in God's Word, do you think God is in heaven thinking, oh, it's time to meet with Benji, let's get this over with. No, again, God's word is living and active, meaning God desires to speak with us whenever we jump into his word, to edify us in his love, to teach us something, to meet with us through his word. So we, would, we should expect a conversation and interaction with God. And listen, from my experience, the conversation can happen regardless of where you read in Scripture and how much you read of Scripture. It's all dependent on your hunger and desperation for God. Uh, Just to give an example, you know, when I used to work at American Eagle, I had to get up at 5 a.m. in the morning just to get ready for a 6 a.m. start. And and of course, you know, I wanted. I was in the conviction that I should read my Bible first because it sets the tone uh, and my 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 sort of my outlook for the rest of the day. But of course, not a lot of time between five and six, and so I remember I would have to come to God desperate every morning, hungry for His Word, hungry for Him to speak to me. And God has been faithful. God every single time was faithful to say something, to speak truth. Even if it meant, you know, I was only able to read one or two paragraphs in the Word. Because if we truly believe that all Scripture is god brief it doesn't matter if you read a sentence or a full chapter or a full book, God will speak to you regardless if you meet with Him in desperation in His Word. That's expectation. An expectation that God is faithful and wants to meet with us and speak to us through His Word. So church, come expecting to hear from God. My recommendation, and if you're already doing this, you know, praise God. But before you read, ask God to speak to you in whatever amount of time that you have. Come with desperation, wanting to hear from the lover of our souls, longing to drink from the pure water that refreshes our souls. And have faith that God's word is living and active, that God can speak to you in it. Every time, come with expectation. Secondly, context is key. Context is key. I cannot stress this point enough. This will save you from so much confusion and heresy and false teaching. This is actually one of my pet peeves. Whenever I hear a pastor preach something that is out of context, I'm screaming in my brain, it's out of context. And I hope you do the same. Context is key. When you are reading the Bible, start with the context of the passage that you are reading. This may require that, that you, you do a little more research, a little more digging to figure, get, to figure out what the context is. But once you do, I can assure you that you will better grasp what God is trying to communicate in that passage that you are reading. Now, a good practice is to read before and after a passage that you're looking at. So let's, let's put this into practice a little. If you have your Bible, turn to Philippians chapter 2, verse 12. Philippians chapter 2, verse 12, it says, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. This is a passage I've heard many times, and I'm sure you have as well, but it's also been used to propagate a works-based faith, that you need to work for your salvation, that it's dependent on your efforts to be saved. Well, a simple contextual reading clearly refutes that idea because if you complete that sentence in verse 13, it says, For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for His good pleasure. So it's not even about you. It's about God working in you so that you can work for His good will, for His good pleasure. And a deeper dive in the original Greek would also tell you that work out your salvation is not a statement of earning, as in you have to work or earn that salvation, but rather a statement of refinement, the salvation you already have, work it out in fear and trembling, to the holy God that is in you, working in you, as well as if you read the verse, the, the verse right before that passage, it talks about how every knee will bow, and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord, that's who you are serving, that's who you ought to fear, as you work out your, your salvation. Now how do we know all this? Well, again, we have we just read the passage, but how do we know that this is what Paul is trying to communicate? Because the context is Paul is writing to believers, not unbelievers. Very simple. He's talking to saved Christians, those who are already saved, not to unbelievers who need to somehow attain their salvation. Still, again, this is why context is key. Every false teaching must take Scripture out of context just to prove its argument. Please don't do the same. Now, for your benefit, as you dive into Scripture on your own, some things to note. The Bible is filled with many literary styles, similar to how if you go to a bookstore, you'll see a section on uh, uh, biographies, a section on history, a section on, on nonfiction, all that stuff. The Bible is the same, and it's important to read the Bible in the context of those literary styles as well. And the three main types of writing that we see in Scripture are narrative, poetry, and prose discourse. Narrative, poetry, and prose discourse. Narrative deals with history and parables and biographies like the Judges and for Samuel and the Gospels. Something very key to note about narratives if you're reading in them, narrative is not normative. Narrative is not normative. Meaning, just because it happened to David, it doesn't mean it's going to happen to you. Narrative is not normative. Those narratives happen in a particular way for us to learn from them, but they're not necessarily formulaic. As in, if I do X, I will receive Y. It doesn't work like that. The second category, poetry, that's the songs, the the psalms, right? Uh, Wisdom and prophets, we see how the prophets also speak in poetic language, right? The psalms, proverbs, the writings of Jeremiah, Ezekiel. Now something important to say about these books of poetry in the Bible, don't create principles out of poetry. Don't create principles out of poetry, God uses figurative language and hyperbole in these books of poetry, so it would be foolish to create doctrines and principles out of them. A good example of this is 1 Corinthians chapter 13, the famous love chapter. That whole chapter is poetic in how it's written. Paul literally takes a break from his discourse on spiritual gifts to talk about the the superiority of love. And so he uses hyperbole and metaphors in this poetic refrain. He says, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. Is he actually a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal? Obviously not. He says, I can remove mountains. Those are our metaphors. Yet, for some reason, denominations will take the very first part of that passage where it says, if I speak in the tongues uh, tongues of men and of angels and create a whole doctrine about speaking in tongues and speaking in a language of the angels. That's not what Paul is trying to say. That's not the context of that passage. Don't create principles out of poetry. Where we do create principles and doctrines are in the prose discourse. That's the laws, that's the wisdoms, that's the letters. Deuteronomy, the the Pauline letters, right? The, The letters of Peter and John. These are the books of the Bible that are very clear commentaries on the faith and what we ought to believe and practice. Now, keep in mind that most of the books of the Bible will jump around between narrative and poetry and discourse, as mentioned, right? 1 Corinthians is a good example, right? Chapter 1 to 12 is a, a commentary or even a narrative on the church of Corinth and what's happening there. And then Paul goes and takes a break in chapter 13. So keep that in mind as you're reading God's word. And uh, and the more you read it, the more it becomes easier to spot. Now, number three, some more tips here consult with scripture consult with scripture another way false teachings or false teachers enter into the church is when false teachers isolate certain passages of the bible and don't interpret it with the rest of scripture See, the Bible is one big story with a cohesive narrative. It's one of the beauties of Scripture, that though these books were written by multiple authors over the course of 1,500 years, there is a, there is a cohesiveness to it. None of it contradicts each other. This is another sign of God's authorship throughout Scripture now with that said, it's important to consult scripture, to interpret scripture. Sure, we can read commentaries and, and listen to sound teachers and whatnot, but we also need to look at scripture as uh, to what it says about other passages in scripture. You can't just isolate certain sections and come to a conclusion. We must consult, we must consult the full counsel of Scripture. Meaning if there's a part that you read that you find confusing or hard to understand, search the rest of the Bible to see what what the rest of Scripture says about it. A good example of this is the book of Revelations. People dread reading the book of Revelations. It's hard to understand. There's, There's beasts and angels and the Antichrist and all this stuff and no one wants to read it. Well, if you read Daniel and Jeremiah and Ezekiel and Isaiah... Where there's cross-references and parallels to the text, you'll have a better understanding of what that book says. That, again, that is searching the full counsel of Scripture. This is very important, especially when it comes to doctrine. For example, there are passages in Scripture where it says that you can lose your salvation. But then there's also passages that are very clear that you cannot. There's the security of the believer we need to consult scripture. We can't just isolate the book of James, for example, and see, see, faith without works is dead. That means you need to work for your salvation. No. The rest of scripture resoundingly outcries that by faith are we saved, by grace, through Jesus Christ. So consult with scripture. Fourthly, commit to memory. That's right, there's four points tonight. I'm feeding you lots. We don't need the snacks after church. We got a full meal here. Commit to memory. Commit to memory. Memorize, memorize, memorize scripture. I can't tell you how important this is. We talked about the types of writing styles we find in the Bible. Well, uh, you know, narrative poetry and discourse. and Well, the overall category of scripture falls under something called Jewish meditation literature. The Bible was meant to be something that believers were to memorize and know from the heart. Uh, Psalms chapter 1 verse 1 to 2 says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. The idea of meditation here paints the picture of something that you, can, that you are constantly chewing on and thinking over. In the Hebrew, it literally means something that you are constantly muttering under your breath. And this was the case for, this, for the Jews in ancient times. From a very young age, kids would have to memorize entire books of the Bible. Entire books. We have it so easy. We have Bible verses to memorize. Imagine memory books of the Bible, right? Psalms is a pretty long book. So memorize your Bible, take it it one verse at a time, repeat it over and over again, write it down in a journal so it helps you remember, make it your, your password for your computer, whatever it takes, commit it to memory. And please don't make excuses about, you know, having problems memorizing things because I'm pretty sure everyone here memorizes something to a certain degree, Right? If I was to, you know, start rolling around on the, on the couch and saying, parkour, parkour, you all know, well, most of you might know where that's coming from. Because you memorize that scene in that show, you know that line from that show. So you're good at memorization. So don't tell me you can't memorize a verse or two. Committed to memory. Listen, let me tell you why, let me give an example why this is so important. Can you imagine the strength that you will have, the boldness, the confidence that you could have. And when the next time that you are tempted by the enemy to give in to sin, you can say, greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. Similar to how Jesus refuted and rebuked Satan himself with holy scripture. Can you imagine when the next time the devil tempts you to to rage and, 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 and be angry at the one that you love when instead you declare in boldness, love is patient and is kind. If you want to take another model, memorize it in the KJV. Charity suffereth long. (laughs) Commit it to memory. Commit it to memory. Mm -hmm. Lastly, there are And of course, there are many more tips that we can talk about. And if you want more tips than what we've discussed uh, uh, this evening, please speak to me and we can talk more about that. But for our last point here, Christ at the center. Keep Christ at the center. I think oftentimes the reason why we can struggle in receiving or hearing from God in our times in the Word is because oftentimes we're reading ourselves into the text. How does this passage speak to me in my situation today? Or what does this passage say about me and what I can can do and what I need to do? What we can often do is put ourselves in the middle of the story or the text and during the times where we can't, our time in the word becomes stale because I'm not getting anything from it. It's not speaking to my situation. I, I can't relate. Well, newsflash, this just in, the Bible isn't about you. You're not the main character of the story. If anything, we're the villains of the story. We're the rebels that disobeyed God. So if you want a relatable passage, go to the book of Exodus and read the whole journey in the wilderness. Because guess what? We're those people. The Bible is about Jesus and Him alone. In the gospel of Luke, after the resurrection, some disciples were going to Emmaus and debating over scripture. And Jesus shows up to clarify what they were debating over. And and it says in Luke chapter 24, verse 27, it says, And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. All scripture is about Jesus And unless you are looking for Him in Scripture, you will come up empty every time. Remember, one of the names of Christ is literally the Word of God. So unless we are searching the Word to know the Word, to know Him, the One who satisfies our soul, the One who gives us rest, unless we come looking for the One who offers us waters of life that we might never thirst again, we will find nothing but empty pictures of ourselves of Christ at the center of your devotional times and your quiet times. Yes, I absolutely believe that, you know, that the Bible is relevant for us today and our circumstances and God can speak into our context for sure, but it must start with Christ. It must start with Christ. Before you jump into the Word, pray. Pray Pray, you know, Jesus, come meet with me. I want to know you more. I want to hear from you. I want to hear what you have to say about the situation in my life, this decision I need to make. In desperation to hear the voice of the lover of our souls, come to the word ready to listen to the sweet voice of our Savior. Come with expectation. Context is key. Consult with scripture. Commit to memory. Keep Christ at the center. It is a privilege to have the word of God. There are places in this world that don't have access, free access to the Bible. And I think oftentimes we take it for granted. Before the Bible, before we had this closed canon of scripture, people were hungry to hear from God. And even today, people are still searching and trying out all these avenues and Ways to try to meet with God, to hear from God. We have the very word of our Savior to refresh our souls, to bring us to a place of satisfaction. We have the privilege of reading whole 66 books of the Bible to hear from God directly. Don't squander that privilege. As we enter into this time of communion now, I'm going to ask the worship team to come up. And Another reason as to why we turn to the Word and why we turn to Scripture as authority, our, our highest authority, Because scripture is also determinative. Scripture, the Bible, is also determinative. The word of God determines who is saved. John 10 verse 26 and 28 says, But you do not believe because you are not among my sheep. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. John 8 verse 31 to 32 says, So Jesus said to the Jews who who had believed Him, If you abide in My Word, you are truly My disciples. And you will know the truth. And the truth will set you free. Scripture is determinative. Those who are of the family of God, who have the Holy Spirit living and indwelling in them, has Scripture revealed to them. Understands scripture it might take some time it might take some wrestling but understand that Scripture determines who it is who is part of the family of God and as we enter into this time of communion that is one of the things that's one of the standards that we are to examine amongst ourselves it says in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty seven. it says, whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. So let a person examine himself then and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. So I invite you during this time, as we, again, as we enter into the, this the time of communion and as the, the volunteers start passing out these elements, search your heart to really see if you are truly in the faith so that you're not partaking of these elements in an unworthy manner ask God maybe there's some hidden sin in your life maybe there's a there's an unconfessed sin in your life in this time, check your hearts before the Holy God. As we read in our passage, work it out. Work out your salvation right now in fear and trembling before the Holy God. Be sure that you're not partaking and participating at this table in an unworthy Please stand with me. This time you should have two elements in your hand, the bread and the, the cup. Two seals on the cup there for your information. It says in 1 Corinthians 11, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to The Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. When he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's partake of the bread together. Lord Jesus, as we partake of this table together, Lord, we remember. The body that was broken for us. The body that took our stripes. That took our nails. That took the, the crown of thorns that should have been on our heads. We remember the body that was broken so that we could be whole. Give us, O oh Lord, for any way that we have squandered, Lord, to get advantage, O oh Lord, of your death on the cross. Remind us, O oh Lord, of the pain that you had to go through Lord, that we might be free we might experience reconciliation with the Holy God. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 25, it says, In the same way, also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Let's partake of it. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Oh Lord, we thank you for the blood that was spilt, for the cleansing of our sin, for the washing of our filth, of our unrighteousness. We thank you, oh Lord, that by the blood of the precious lamb, we have been saved, sealed until the day of Jesus Christ's return. We thank you, O Lord, for the blood that washes us white as snow, that makes us righteous before the Father. We thank you, Lord, that even as we remember your, your death, we also remember your resurrection, O Lord. That three days later, you rose from the grave, delivering to us the seal of our salvation, the confirmation that your sacrifice was enough, that was good enough, that in in you we can be reconciled and also raised from the dead. And so God, we thank you that you are our Lord and we give you praise and glory for the word that teaches us so, that gives us your divine truth, that proclaims to us your salvific work, the gospel of Jesus Christ. I pray, O God, that in this time of reflection and remembrance that you would reignite in your people a passion for your word, a passion for the gospel that has saved us, that we might live a life worthy of the gospel. O Lord, accept our praises, be glorified amongst your people, We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Let's worship. Thanks for listening. We hope that you were blessed by the sermon today. If you would like to learn about the gospel or know more about our church, please visit pluslivepeople.com. Remember to subscribe for more content. Until next time, stay blessed.